new and existing audiences that you're building a product for or an event for, in this case, the brand, they have to be involved because it's for them, it's with them. And so you can have a lot of hypothesis, but these need to be tested out. Welcome to Virtually Live by Kaltura. Every week, we'll get into the latest and greatest in marketing, and specifically event marketing, audience engagement, and brand experience. To guide us through that, we've invited event professionals and marketing leaders from various industries. In this week's episode, Kaltura's Senior Director of Product Marketing, Lilach Tahan, interviews Nadia Hitman, Simply's, formerly Joytune's VP Brand Marketing, about how she led Simply to a successful new brand using a product development methodology coupled with an audience and community-focused mindset. Let's go! Hi, I'm Lilach Dan, Director of Product Marketing here at Cultura, and I'm coming to you virtually live from Tel Aviv. Rebranding on its own is a steep mountain to climb. But add to that, reinventing the wheel, and you'll get a glimpse into what my guest, VP Brand Marketing at Simply, Nadia Hitman, ventured into. She'll be taking us through her experience leading Simply's formerly Joytunes, incredible rebranding, and the revolutionary approach that got them there. Hi, Nadia. Where are you coming us virtually live from? Hi. I'm coming virtually live from our in-house creative studio at Simply. Well, we're so glad to have you here. Uh, so let's start things simply. Tell us about uh, Simply. <laughs> so uh, the TLDR, and obviously we just rebranded from Joytunes. So uh, the TLDR of Simply is that it's about those joyful experiences that bring people together through creative hobbies at home. But what Simply is really about is choosing to spend your time in a meaningful way as individuals or families at home together. You can think about it like uptime. Um, as opposed to, you know, like the downtime that we're all used to, like uh, Netflix binging or scrolling on social media or like video games. And at the end, that's like fun, right? And we all do it. Uh, but at the end of your binge, you want to feel good. Uh, so it could be an outlet for self-expression or bonding time together. And it's simply we started with music like our app, Simply Piano, Simply Guitar, Simply Sing. And we saw the value that it brought, like learning to play the songs that you love for the people that you love. And, and we saw that that can evolve into other things, like think about uh, drawing the things that you love for the people that you love or painting or even cooking. Uh, and simply makes it easy to start that, that journey. And it's about the meaningful time we spend together and ultimately there'll be something for everyone at Simply. I want us to shift away slightly from your uh, products uh, to the way you work internally. So Simply has a really unique organizational structure of laser-focused pods with very little hierarchy. How does that structure tie into your cross-company pursuit of wider growth goals? So as you said, like at Simply, we work in very small laser-focused teams, pods. Each pod has a clear business goal, and this enables us to move fast, make decisions, and lead by impact, rather than like the typical hierarchical structure, which could slow you down. Uh, and so in a pod, 
everyone is accountable and responsible for what you are driving and the impact that you are making. And so it's a bit like if you think about it, working in a, a mini startup with everything that you need. So multidisciplinary teams, so multidisciplinary teams, uh, as an example, like, I don't know, uh, guitar usage has uh, devs and it has musicians, it has data analysts, uh, marketing, whatever is needed for the goal that the pod is working on. And you break it down for what's needed in the actual workflow. So for example, within a pod, you're working in a very tight focus. So it's actually focused for what you're, you're working for impact. And it's also what are the things you're not doing? So it's like very tight prioritization. You get different perspectives from different people that have context rather than hierarchical approval. And this not only accelerates growth, but you're, you're able to focus on the things that matter for impact. So in that matter, event teams must work on a tight schedule while bringing in a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, you think you can use this pod structure to their benefit? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I would never go back. Um, but yes, for like event teams, you could, it's like, again, rather than departmental, think about all the skill sets you need for the goal that you're trying to achieve you know, whether like whatever event it is that you're, you're planning. And then now put everyone together, work in a close knit way of working only in pursuit of what you're trying to achieve for impact, holistic view, and don't do the things that you don't need to. Amazing. Okay. So let's move to something else. Um, you very recently and very successfully uh, I must say, rebranded from JoyTunes to Simply, which you had to work on through lockdowns and quarantines. Um, before we talk about the rebrand itself, can you explain how the brand pod took on and carry out this effort? So because it's about focusing on what's needed for impact, uh, I'll break it down into there were four stages. And for each stage, there was a different structure that was needed to achieve the efforts that we were doing. So in the initial brand building stage, there was just a pod of three people. That's it, three. So there was an amazing designer called Adet and an amazing marketer called Laura and myself. And so in this stage, the three of us broke it down into strategy and then the expression of the strategy, which was the identity building, the look, the feel, the sound um, of the new brand all the way through to guidelines. Then in the second stage, which was implementation, the pod grew to 14 team tribe uh, for everything that was needed there for how we were going to implement the new brand in our assets. So we had devs, marketeers, creatives, everything that was needed there. Then in the third stage, um, we actually had uh, release mode um, which was actually also testing mode. And so it was the same team uh, very much working tightly together. And this is also where we made the decision. It was going to be a uh, gradual rollout uh, and not a full-blown like global launch. And then the last stage was the actual release itself where this was very much like working within this 14-person team uh, but it also we had internal 
So there were the internal team because obviously uh, there's this big thing going on where you're changing and evolving uh, the identity of the company. And also for uh, external as well for employer branding in Israel. So there was the team that did that. So then we all came together. Uh, so how did you leverage the community during the rollout of the rebrand? So before the brand uh, was released, we tested everything. So typically you might release the brand and it goes out into the world. Uh, here, like we do with everything, we want to test, we want to have a gauge. And so we did it for two goals. One, to understand how is this new brand resonating uh, with our like audience, our community of learners, and also performance-wise, what happens. So, for example, in order to increase confidence before the rollout, we actually, in our app stores, we tested screenshots, we tested icons, and we. this is obviously the new audiences that are coming in. Uh, and we did a gradual rollout with our actual products, and we tested there, and then got the uh, initial like qualitative and quantitative uh, feedback and input. And uh, then through to the end, we then did a lot of like pre-hype with our community, involving them, choosing, you know, pictures for their profile in their app, all the way through to like pre-hype work showing them around our offices and simply meeting us, getting to know the, the new brand behind the scenes, giving them like early access uh, to get the what and how is this new brand resonating with them. Okay. Um, speaking more generally, what role, if any, uh, do digital experiences play in creating or strengthening the connection between the brand and its audience? Can you share some examples from Simply? Yeah, so the way that I think about it is that the digital experiences uh, as a product is, which in itself is a part of the brand, is a huge connection. They, they, they need to be connected. The product itself is even part of the brand. And so, for example, and it, we had like even our brand pillars that what our audiences are telling us and what we're listening from them and how they connect to the product. Like two of them, as an example, like joy. That's literally what we're putting out into the world. That's literally what uh, our audiences are connecting to from the product and the brand. So you, you can think about it as in the product recognition, driving the brand in that way. Or even another example is, you know, the supportive environment that we spoke about before, the literal guiding step-by-step, step, this is literally in our apps. And it was connected to our audience of this is, they were telling us this is what they are getting, that it's very, very supportive. So we put this connection and made it stronger in the new brand. Um, your brand rebuilding approach is also very interesting as you followed agile product development methodologies of small cycles and faster loops, which is also very unique to how you work compared to other marketing teams. Um, can you share how that works specifically with the rebranding process? So first off, 
in agile methodology, you typically work in two week blocks, which is called sprints. So within each sprint, you define what's needed for the goal to achieve your destination, which is the business goal. And we call those deliverables. So we applied this exactly in the branding process. We broke everything down into small blocks, uh, which makes things a lot faster and, and then optimize. And then while keeping the overall direction aligned with our branding structure, so while keeping the overall direction aligned with our brand strategy. So when working on the brand identity, for example, we broke it down into the core elements of, okay, the word mark, the icon, uh, the, the actual uh, symbol, the colors, the graphical elements, uh, making sure that everything expressed the brand, but also so I were working in a very like tight, uh, prioritized way. Uh, rather than, okay, let's do the whole of the logo or let's do the whole of the identity. Uh, and then you might need to like re go back because something, you know, isn't aligned. It doesn't work with the strategy or it didn't resonate with the audience. Uh, all the way to actually what we're currently doing now. Uh, we've like taken this iterative product methodology, a marketing methodology way of working to the brand building. And now within our current stage, which is called story audience fit, a bit like product market fit, where you see an elevation when you've got uh, the product fits to the audience. So here it's about the brand fitting to the audience. And so here we're even applying that agile methodology to testing, breaking out into different tests and testing things like uh, language audience fit. Is it actually creative hobbies? Don't know. It actually might be creative skills. And so we're measuring that, again, qualitatively, quantitatively with this unique combined score, because then you'll see this elevation uh, when you've got this fit. And uh, that's, you know, very much like the agile methodology. It's about breaking it down into small blocks. It's about testing, making it iterative uh, and with tight prioritization for the ultimate goal that you're trying to achieve. You said in earlier conversation that you had two questions that steered you and your team's decisions. What's needed for brand impact and does it this negate your brand? Can you tell us about those two questions um, and how they came to be your guiding light? Yeah, so these two questions actually, they were very, very dominant in uh, the implementation phase. Um, so for implementation, uh, even choosing which assets we're going to implement the new brand in, we actually didn't put the new brand in absolutely all of our assets because actually it wasn't needed for brand impact. So from choosing the assets, for example, we only choose, we only, cho for example, we only chose highly visible assets to implement a new brand for the initial release, which we called the MVP, Minimal Viable Product, uh, or Minimal Viable Brand, as we're talking here. So we only had Simply Piano, Simply Guitar, our app stores, uh, our website, obviously, uh, and top-performing creatives. Uh, and that was it. And so that's one example 
um, what was needed for brand impact, which assets. Another example of negating the brand, for example, I spoke about uh, the app store. So we did testing for our screenshots there. Now, as any marketeer knows, there are many different ways that you can implement a new brand. Uh, and so this question of does this negate the brand was very much used there. Like, okay, you've got these new screenshots. What here? There's something here that's like negating it. Okay, now if we implement it like this, uh, what's needed there? Or, you know, what's needed for brand impact? What makes the brand? There's like the identifiers that are really important and critical to the new brand, like the symbol and the color. Uh, and the graphical elements, or even, you know, does not putting the new tone of voice in our product negate the brand? That's kind of controversial, but that's an example of the extreme focus and prioritization that we did and a way to like focus us and to center us as a guiding beacon through that to keep this tight prioritization and focus for what's needed for the impact was those literal two questions. Is this needed for brand impact? Does it negate the brand? Uh, and, you know, that's carrying us all the way through to like this current stage now. Final question. What do you think marketeers can take from A, your pod structure, B, your agile way of work, and C, how you leverage your community to creating an event or digital experience? So I would say, uh, like, we've been talking a lot about focus and impact, right? So on the pod structure, focus on only what's needed for the impact. And make sure you also understand what it is you're not working on because it's not needed. Uh, and then the other thing within that is about the prioritization for the goals. It's about making impact fast. That's it. Uh, and within that, you've got the product methodology and the agile methodology. That's not just for product or for devs. It can be for any discipline like marketers, event planners, uh, musicians, even. And the other part of this, the takeaway I would say is uh, in order to work like that, you need to have low ego who cares about hierarchy or typical structures? It's really, it's low ego. For example, you can seek different perspectives from people that are not from your domain. Yes, you're the domain expert, uh, but you can get valuable input and perspective from others that have different context that are also sharp. Uh, and so you don't, you can't have a, an ego uh, for that. And the other thing I would definitely say, and this is, you know, it very much speaks about marketing. Uh, when you're creating that event or whatever part of marketing you're working on is to involve your audience and your community, listen to them. Uh, they will help guide you and it will create a greater connection, belonging and adoption, just like your own team when it's collaborative and you're involving them. Nadia, I would like to thank you so much for being here today. And we're so glad to have you uh, here at Virtually Live. So thank you so much. Thank you.
Thank you, Nadia Hitman and Lilach Dahan for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. To give you a little taste of what's coming next week, here's seven questions and events with Stephen McNelly, Senior Platform Manager at Airbnb. Welcome to Seven Questions in Events. Seven questions with an expert from this industry, Stephen McNally from Airbnb. No time to waste, let's go. What's the one thing you want attendees to get out of your events? I want attendees to feel uh, connected, um, especially live events. Um, have historically, I've been about bringing people closer to an experience, and now live events are uh, becoming more and more the experience. What's your favorite way to engage with your audience? I have a feeling that I know the answer. <laughs> um, man, um, so my favorite way to engage with an audience is in real time. Um, you know, if we're talking about like a video conferencing situation, it's, it's bringing them into the physical space. Um, uh, if you're in person, we have this fun thing called a catch box. They're a fluffy microphone and you can chuck them around the room like a football. Wow, okay. Um, who would your dream uh, keynote speaker be? No restrictions. Oh man, my dream keynote speaker, um, I, 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 you know, it's a, you know, he's a polarizing guy, but um, you know, I think Elon Musk is a really interesting person, um, more for his output and his, his uh, Uh, thoughts on, on long-term evolution of things and scaling things and, and the design of things. I, I'm really, I think a lot about uh, design. Mm -hmm. I understand. Um, which trend in virtual events are you most looking forward to? Let's see, the trend I'm looking forward to the most in virtual events is uh, very, very low latency video, like second latency, but uh, maybe not for the reason that you think is a low latency video really empowers us to create emotional connections with the viewer and allows the presenter to understand how their messages are landing. What's an event marketing pitfall people should watch out for? Oh man, um, well we should always tell, uh, tell everyone about our events the hour before it happens. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's just uh, telling people Uh, too late in the game that your event is happening, I think, is the biggest marketing pitfall. It should stop, but I keep seeing it happen again and again. Yeah, you should trust, trust your content. People would come. What's your go-to source for personal development info in terms of events and marketing? Sure. My, my go-to uh, place for personal development um, is uh, I, I like breaking down other live events. Um, I'll watch uh, things like... Um, Uh, you know, Tesla's live events, Apple's live events, um, LinkedIn does an amazing job with their, their content. And then also those educational, uh, you know, resources, uh, you know, from LinkedIn. There's so many great um, uh, YouTube channels. And, you know, if you have a topic that you feel passionate about, um, you know, uh, try out some, some um, channels on YouTube and, and find people that, that you feel inspired by and then add your own flavor to it. Great. And shout out another event professional. See, you know, I think uh, the folks over at LinkedIn are doing phenomenal things with uh, live video. Chris Packard is helping lead that team over at LinkedIn, and they're really helping to transform the uh, professional uh, educational industry.
Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. It was very interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people would, would enjoy this conversation to hear you and your insights.